good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm so glad to be back before you all today. Uh, yeah, so glad. This is a, a privilege to preach again. I mean, yeah, it's an awesome privilege, and I'm thankful for that. I uh, got my, my mom here again, uh, sitting next to my, to my wife. Uh, I took, where Abby at? Abby was, she was trying to play me for uh, celebrating my wife in service, but I want to celebrate her again. Uh, uh, shout out to the Howard students, they're back. Yeah, so I'm going to get right into it. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. So, Father, we thank you that this is the day that you have made. And we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. We praise you, Lord, that you will never leave nor forsake us. You are with us. So, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to, to hear your word, speak through your word. Help us. Help me, God, by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Only God can judge me. I can guarantee this phrase is one that you've probably heard over and over and over again. And at one point, you may have even said it. I think some of us may even still say this phrase. Only God can judge me. We see this phrase posted all throughout social media, all over television, tattooed on people's bodies, in our music. Tupac Shakur, who, who, who go down as one of the most greatest rappers of all time, had this song or the title uh, with this phrase used on uh, one of the most successful rap albums in the history of hip hop. I mean, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I know Malcolm knows what I'm talking about. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the point is that it's still gaining recognition to this day. And that has to say something about this phrase. Only God can judge me. But what I, notice, what I notice most often when this phrase is used, um, it's used as a way for people to say, mind your business. <laughs> you can't tell me nothing. Whatever I'm doing over here got nothing to do with you, whether good or bad. But I think I often find when people are using this phrase, they know they ain't living right. Only God can judge them. Now, and also, sorry, after you do some digging with this phrase, I, I think you eventually see this phrase is used as a justification. People use this phrase to justify how they're living their life. Now, I can, I can probably find more problems with the use of this phrase. And while I'm no expert on the theology of God's judgment, my main concern when people say a statement like this is that I don't think they really know the weight of what they're actually saying. While it is true that God will judge us, I'm fully convinced that, the knowledge, that their knowledge of God's judgment is scarce based on the boldness of a statement like this. Like, honestly, I often want to ask, like, do you actually want God to judge you in your current condition? Do you really want God, the creator of the universe, to execute his perfect judgment on you right now? Come on, let's. Depending on how these two questions are answered, 
I come to see that this phrase ultimately represents a fear problem. We all have this problem, don't we? This problem causes us to forget our place. We seem to forget who God is and who we are. We forget that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We have a fear problem. And this fear problem causes us to be ignorant and careless of the judgment of God. Church, the truth is that God's judgment is coming. And right now, how are you living in light of this coming judgment? Church, my main concern for us is that I believe that we're living too much of our lives revering people and things and not fearing the living God. So the overarching question for us all to consider today is this. Are we making it our duty to live our lives in complete allegiance to God, fearing him, knowing that we will one day be judged on how we fear? I say that again. Are we making it our duty to live our lives in complete allegiance to God, fearing him, knowing that we will one day be judged on how we fear him? Let's take a look at what God's word had to say about this. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes 12. Uh, we'll read verses 9 and 14, but for, for, for the focus of our time, we'll spend it in verses 13 and 14. So I'll give you some time to return to it. Then we'll dig right in. It reads as follows. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goats and nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. I'm making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So this stuff right here. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. <laughs> king Solomon, who was the son of David, and who was at one point the king of Israel, wrote this book with God's help to help us understand the true meaning of life. King Solomon was extremely wealthy and extremely wise, and he had a reputation of being wise. I mean, First King 4, uh, it alludes to it, or it tells us that Solomon has such a reputation of being wise that he attracted all the kings of the earth. I mean, this is the same cat who wrote the Song of Solomon in the Book of Proverbs. I mean, Solomon was a wise dude. And in the Book of Ecclesiastes, I think Solomon wanted his readers to see that pursuing one's own pleasure in life is meaningless and purposeless. There's no joy in it. Living for you is not the move. One scholar tells us that this book is one loving lesson for us that tells us life apart, of, apart from God is no life at all. See, Solomon made many mistakes in his life, and this book here is to help us not to make the same mistakes that he did. 
So let's do a brief overview of Solomon's quest to understand life and community. Bear with me. Uh, chapter one, Solomon starts off by saying that everything in this life is pointless. Absolutely purposeless. I mean, this is how he starts off the book. No warm up, no nothing. Just right in. <laughs> then he goes on to say that there is nothing new under the sun. In chapter two, he says that the pursuit of pleasure is also pointless. He tells us that all of his possessions are meaningless. Like Solomon had everything in the world and he still felt unsatisfied. We get to chapter three and Solomon tells us there's a time for everything, a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time for joy, a time for weeping, a time to be silent and a time to speak. If we get to chapter four, Solomon tells us about the loneliness that comes with pursuing love. He tells us that when you die, someone else would inherit the wealth that you worked so hard for. Move on to chapter six. Solomon lets us know that although God gives the person riches and wealth, when that person passes away, a stranger will enjoy all the things that he or she worked for. Chapter seven, Solomon felt like hopping in his bag real quick to give us some washing. He says things like this. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Chapter eight, he starts talking about the value of wisdom. It goes on about authority and sin. Chapter nine, he reminds us that there is one fate for us all, the righteous and the wicked. Essentially, we all will die. We get to chapter 10. Solomon starts going off about fools and foolishness. He says that even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everyone he is a fool. In chapter 11, he starts to give advice to the youth. Our students, listen up. He wants us to rejoice while we are young and enjoy the days of our youth because these days won't last forever. <laughs> and then we arrive at chapter 12. Solomon has come to the end of his quest for the meaning of life. And now as an old head, he starts the first line of this passage by saying, remember your creator. Yeah. And he ends the passage by saying, fear the creator. Solomon had experienced just about everything that this life had to offer just to arrive at the conclusion that the best thing that you and I could do in our lives is to fear. That's good, Liz. Let's dig into verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In church, there are three things that I would like to bring our attention to from these verses. Number one, point number one, a life created by God should be marked by a, a holy fear of God. A life created by God should be marked by a holy fear of God. Point number two, a holy fear of God should prompt a sincere obedience to God. And number three, how we fear and obey will be judged by God. Point number one, a life created by God should be marked by a holy fear of God. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. I think it's important to note a couple things from this verse. Number one, no one is exempt from fearing. This is for all humanity, men and women alike. The phrase, the whole duty of men in the Hebrew literally means this is every man's duty. No one is without excuse. 
I think another thing to bring our attention to is that he calls it our whole duty, right? And right here, I know this is for the ladies right here. When y'all say something, like when y'all really feel something, y'all really resonate, y'all say it's a whole move, right? Right? I say, man, that's a whole, I don't want to do the way I say it. That might be not, that's not what I'm trying to do. But, <laughs> but I think it's the same sentiment. Y'all say that when y'all really vibe with something. And I think Solomon is saying this to really bring home the seriousness of fearing and obeying the living God. I think he finds it extremely important to make sure that we know that our chief responsibility and primary, and my primary job in this life as men and women is to fear the Lord. As we've been learning this entire summer, the fear that Solomon is talking about here isn't about this, this frantic or scared type of fear. It's a holy, reverential, and awestruck fear. This sort of fear should prompt us to love God. One that should cause us to adore him, to enjoy him, to worship him. We, as God's people, ought to be completely enamored with the living God. Church, the truth is that you and I have been created by God for a specific purpose. God, he gathered some dust. He breathed life into us made us in his image and in his likeness. He knit us together in our mother's womb with precision and delicacy. He gave us the ability to, to rule and to create and to experience some of his very own attributes. He gave us the ability to, to feel the emotions that he feels. He made us fearfully and wonderfully, all for one overarching purpose, to fear. The lives that we have been given by God are meant to love and revere God. But because of the sin of our hearts, this is often not the case, right? Believer and unbeliever alike, we love to live for ourselves, don't we? I think many of us believe that our primary role in life is to make sure that we're good. We do everything that we can do to make sure that we're straight no matter what the cost is. We make it our duty to go over and beyond to please ourselves, to please other people. But do we go out of our way to fear the Lord in this way? For the Christian, the fear of the Lord is the very heartbeat of our faith. We ought to be doing a conscious pulse check on our lives to make sure that the fear that we have for the Lord is in order. Is your fear in order today, church? Are you doing everything in your power to make sure that you're rightly revering the living God? Are you doing what it takes to make sure that your heart is warm to him, that you're joyfully submitting to him, that your life points to him always? Listen, all that we do in this life should be done through the lens of fear. When we are at our jobs, we ought to fear the Lord. With family and friends, we ought to fear the Lord. While we tend to our spouses, we ought to fear the Lord. With our schoolwork, we ought to fear the Lord. While we are engaging our neighbors right here in Southeast, we ought to fear the Lord. No matter what we choose to do with our lives, our main priority is to fear the Lord. And in church, I've been, I've been super encouraged to see some great examples of this in our own church. Like Howard students, I'm super encouraged by you guys. Continue to fear the Lord. Brother Yinka, super encouraged by you and your example. Continue to fear the Lord. Sister LaRonda, super uh, encouraged by you. Continue to fear the Lord. 
There's so many other examples of saints consistently and faithfully fearing the Lord. ARC, may we all continue to fear the Lord with joy and love. And for those who are not yet a Christian, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you truly living? I mean, you may say, of course, I'm living like I can read. What is this joker talking about? But I really want you to take a look at this verse again. And Solomon is saying that our primary function in life is to fear God. And the only way we can truly do this is through a sincere belief in Jesus. Are you really living? My answer to this question would be no. If you're not truly fearing the Lord, you're not really living at all. Friends, Christ came to earth to fear God perfectly because we couldn't. We have a fear problem. And Jesus came to make sure that this fear problem was paid by his blood on the cross. He died, was buried, rose on the third day, not only so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins, but that so we can truly live. And so that as we live, we live to love, enjoy, revere, and be in awe of the living God. He died so that we could fear. Believe on him today. He offers you new life in him, a life not for yourself, but for God. God created us so that we may fear him. You were made to fear him. And then Christian, if, if you are, if this is a struggle for you today, I want you to know that you're not alone. Let me offer you a, a few things that has helped me with my own fear problem. Number one, pray. Pray to the Lord that you will fear him rightly. Pray that he would give you a reverential fear. Number two, preach. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of who God is, what he's done for you, and what he's done according to his word. Number three, plug. Plug into community. In Christ, the Lord has given us brothers and sisters to help us in our walk. We were never meant to be isolated or alone as believers. We need other brothers and sisters to check our fear. So pray, preach, and plug. Family, not only did God create us, create us to be marked by a holy fear of him, but this same fear should elicit a response in our hearts. Which brings me to my next point, point number two. A holy fear of God should prompt a sincere obedience to God. Verse 18, again, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. As I stated earlier, as Solomon comes to the end of his life, he realizes that this is the most important thing for you and I to do with our lives, the fear. He then says something very interesting directly after that in the same verse. He implores us not only to fear God, but also to keep his commandments. The, the word commandment here refers to a comprehensive list of laws that is given by the Lord. Another source describes commandments here as directives or landmarks that we may look to, to guide us. So essentially, God gives his people a comprehensive set of laws and directives to help guide our lives so, on earth so that we may faithfully obey him. Isn't that good news? I mean, one scholar says this, to fear God and keep his commandments is not only the whole duty, but the whole honor, interest, and happiness of man. 
Y'all, we should be glad that as we seek to fear God, we're not left up to our own devices. We don't have to think for ourselves. He gives us a set of guidelines that is found in his word. And so how do we know if we're, we're living in obedience to God? I mean, this is nothing flashy or super, you know, fancy. By having a constant thirst for God's word. Christian, I believe that the number one way that we can tell if we're rightly fearing the Lord is if we're being obedient, obedient to the words of God. So I want to ask you a question. What is your quiet time looking like? How does it look this week? Do you, do you spend you know, 25 minutes on social media and then the last five minutes you're rushing to get in God's word before you leave? Are you, are you fooling yourself by telling, you, telling yourself that you're going to get to it later? I mean, we all know what that means. We don't, we don't get to it later. I mean, some of us do. But if you're like me, I don't really get to it later. When was the last time you opened up your Bible other than on Sunday and for small group? Do you only open it when you feel like getting something from God? When you're in trouble, when you're suffering, do you delight in God's word? Believer, God's word is our daily nourishment. Alongside God's grace and mercy is how we survive as Christians. We can't do without it. We, we, have, we have to spend time in it. This is how we obey. We need it each and every day of our lives. We obey the commands of God by feasting on the very word of God. And God has given us some really helpful ways for us to feast on his word. Here are just a few. Um, meditate. Meditate on God's word. Fill your mind with the word of God. Carve out some time to, to, to really sit in the truth of God's word. And I would recommend as you're reading, choose a verse and just chew on it for a second. Allow your mind to, to go over it over and over and over again. So meditate on God's word. Another helpful way to, to make sure that we're feasting on God's word is to read it. I mean, that's just the elementary answer, read it. But also read good books that speak about it. Number three, study. Do a, do, do a deep dive in God's word. Pick a book and dig in. Observe, interpret, and apply the text. Take your time getting through it. Next one, uh, we talked about this this past Monday, Pastor D, but pray God's word. Many times, this is a helpful way to pray. We don't know what to pray. Just pray God's word back to him. He delights in it. Next, listen. Listen to God's word. I mean, we literally have a lot at our fingertips with our phones. I mean, listen to the sermons, the podcasts, even poems about God's word. Take advantage of what the Lord has given you with your phone. Listen to his word. And lastly, sing. Sing God's word. Sing songs that point to his word. Sing aloud, too. I mean, even if you can't sing, sing. It sounds good to God. Sing his word. Church, just to continue to drive this home, our fear of God should lead to obedience to God. Fear is the root. Obedience is the fruit. Fear and obedience go hand in hand. I think that typically when our obedience to God is lacking, it is likely that our fear of God is also lacking. I think an example of this is something I learned in premarital counseling. Um, I'm not an expert at all. Uh, I mean, I've just been a husband for about five months now. But I think something that really stuck with me that Pastor T told us is that typically we're experiencing problems in our marriage. It's rarely about conflict itself. 
most of the time it has to do with things that I failed to do before the conflict. It's about me neglecting to love, to cherish, to serve, to admire, and to listen. I say that again, listen to my wife way before the conflict even happens. The conflict is just a symptom of what's truly going on behind the surface. And I think this is the same way when it comes to our fear and obedience. What's really going on behind the surface is that you're not fearing God right now. ARC, how is your obedience to God and your fear of him? Are you too consumed with the things of the world that you neglect the creator of these things? Do you feel like you know the concept of fear and obedience enough intellectually that they've not made their way to your heart? Fear and obedience is what we are made to do, church. And I've been so encouraged to see more examples like this in our, in our church right now. I mean, so encouraged by our brother Tony, whose fear of the Lord has prompted him to be at Coffee and Convo on Monday mornings, being obedient to the great commission that was given in God's word. I'm encouraged by a sister, Miss Jacqueline. I don't even know if she's here. Uh, whose fear of the Lord has prompted her to be such an encouragement to the younger women at ARC, being obedient to what the Lord asked of older women in his word. I'm encouraged by our brother Shamar, whose fear of the Lord has prompted him to be a such an outstanding servant to our body, being obedient to a God in the same attitude as Christ who came to serve and not to be served according to God's word. See, our saints and, and those who are part of our body and those who are believing in Jesus, the way that we obey is by being obedient to God's word. But we must also be reminded that we are wasting our lives if we're not fearing and obeying. There is one who did both of these things perfectly. He was, he was perfect in how he feared his father and perfect in how he obeyed his father. Even when it wasn't easy, he still did it all the way to the cross, sweating drops of blood the night before. He did all that God commanded him to do till he was crucified. He died, was buried in groves, and now seats is seated at the right hand of God so that we may have hope when we fail to fear and obey. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Believer, look to him when it's hard to fear and obey. For those that are not yet a Christian, believe in him. Because the truth of the matter is that we will all be judged by how we fear and obey God. And this brings me to my last point, point number three. How we fear and obey God will be judged by God. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon ends this book with us on such a powerful note. Judgment. He arrives at the conclusion that all that he's going through all that he's investigated throughout his entire life and throughout this book actually does have meaning. And that meaning is judgment. Fear and obedience matters because of this judgment. Solomon recognizes that one day each and every one of us will be judged by God on how we fear and obey God. He assured to let us know that no one or nothing will be able to escape the judgment seat of God. Church, there's nothing that we can do 
or nothing that we can hide from him that won't be addressed. God has everything, God has everything that we've ever done on file. His own tape has been documented, the good, the bad, anything that we've ever done or will do is on record. Even the things done in secret. So for those of you who, who get discouraged because no one is acknowledging your faithfulness and your service, don't lose heart. God sees you. For those of you who felt like all of your labor is in vain, God sees you. And the reality is for some of us, we probably never get noticed what we do. But God sees you. And if you're a Christian, your reward will be found in heaven. Saints, God sees your service to him even when no one else sees. But not only does God see the good things that we do, he also sees the sin that we commit that no one else sees. So that text he sent last week, God saw that. The history that you erased off your phone and your computer, God saw that. The words that you said about that person that no one else heard, God heard them. There's nothing that we could put past the living God, good or bad. One scholar says this, man can get away with what they appear to be like here on earth, but will be judged, before, will be judged for who they really are in heaven. God sees you. He knows the real you. And my question to you, ARC, are you presenting the real you or someone that you want others to see? God knows the real us. So may we keep this in mind, knowing that we will be judged on how we obey and fear. God's judgment is coming. And believer, the, the good news for us is that because we believe in Jesus, we will not be condemned on that day of death. Christ already paid the price for us by his service on the cross. But an important thing for us to keep in mind is that we will have to give an account for what we do here on earth. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we will be rewarded for all that we do, whether good or evil. So ultimately, how we serve, how we act, how we obey, and how we fear will be judged. And for those who are not yet a Christian, on that day, you have to stand before God, give an account for yourself. All that you've done in your life will be put in the question, and you have to answer for it. If you're not trusting in Jesus, you're going to have to try to give God an explanation as to, as to why you should not be condemned. You have to make a defense for yourself, a one that sounds good to God enough for your life. And, and honestly, friends, I, I don't think that's going to go well. I mean, this is the, the, the very reason that Christ came for us. Christ left the comforts of heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh, lived the perfect life, was humiliated, mocked, beaten, and killed so that you and I will be declared righteous before God. This is how much he loved you. He went through all of that for you so that you wouldn't have to experience the full wrath of God. And if you choose to repent and believe, and fear and obey, it's going to result in eternal life with God. Or if you choose to continue to live for yourself, you'll be eternally separated from God. Ask yourself this, if Christ 
were to come back right now, how would you, who don't believe, be judged? Will you be rewarded or condemned? I pray you choose life of Christ, and I pray you do this sooner than later. Tomorrow is not promised. Don't put it off any longer. Repent and believe. Family, God will judge us. And how we fear and obey in light of his judgment is his life. Our life created by God should be marked by a holy fear of God. A holy fear of God should prompt a sincere obedience to God. How we fear and obey God will be judged by God. May we make it our duty to be a church that seeks to be marked by a holy fear and a body that seeks to obey because of this fear. And may we do all of this knowing that we will one day be judged by how we feel. We pray for this. Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Continue to sanctify and by your truth. Lord, help us to fear and obey you according to your word. God, I pray that you continue to soften us to the truth of the gospel. That your word will penetrate and will give me life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.